Tracy, tell the world what you did for the PowerPoint party. Actually, tell the world what a PowerPoint party is and then tell them what you did. (laughs) Yeah, I did come at you pretty hard in that PowerPoint. So a PowerPoint party, the way that we did it, I was a little bit off in the last episode. It is where you have three minutes to present on a topic of your choice. It can be facts you can share with the world. It can be your opinion on something, whatever you want. You have three minutes. And for every one minute you go over, you have to take a shot or chug something carbonated or just drink your water. We actually use it as an excuse to hydrate. Yes, the really hilarious part of this is just before the PowerPoint party, or well, just after the PowerPoint party, I had to go live on Twitch and you just didn't have any beverages around. So you and I were just chugging water. Yeah. (laughs) Our skin probably looked great. I don't know. It's a great trick to get your friends hydrated. So for my topic, I did... Which Greek god would absolutely wreck your shit given the slightest chance? And I did one Greek god for each of my friends. That's what the PowerPoint was called, for the record. That that was her full presentation. It was awesome. (laughs) I tried, for the most part, to take all of my friends' virtues and say what god would hate them for that virtue. So a friend of mine who is a super hard worker, who's really organized, I had the Greek god of laziness hate her. But for Rowan, who came last in the PowerPoint. Thank you. Spectacular finale. Thank you. I said that Zeus would absolutely wreck her shit because he has seen everything she has said about him (laughs) and posted about him online and he's coming for her. Again, thank you. I feel so seen and so (laughs) flattered. And the funniest part of this was... That I then dragged Zeus in my PowerPoint that followed Tracy's. (laughs) She did. (laughs) And for the record, my PowerPoint topic had almost nothing to do with Zeus. And I still made an entire slide about Zeus being awful. She sure did. (laughs) So Tracy came in with a very on-brand PowerPoint. It was so cool. You did all the research to make it cute and funny. And I did not want to do any of that. And my PowerPoint presentation was why, I think it was, why mute swans are the worst motherfucking birds in the animal kingdom. I think that was the title. It was very persuasive. I ended that presentation. And I actually have thought about it a lot since the party. Thank you. They suck. That was my first PowerPoint party with all your friends who I've kindly inherited. But uh, I think I scared everyone. I don't think you scared anyone. I felt so bad. What kind of cowards do you think they are? I finished and I just thought to myself, I think I did it wrong. I think I did this wrong. There's no way to do it wrong. (laughs) So, Tracy, you were spot on. We should find a way to utilize some of your PowerPoint. (laughs) We can try and share some of the screenshots or something. Yeah. Yeah, it was so good. Thank you. It was very fun. Anyway, it's been a minute since we did that. How how you been? Who are you? I don't remember. Oh, oh hello. Hi. I'm Tracy. <laughs> and I'm Rowan, and this is the Willing and Fable podcast, where we bring you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. That was so... Look at us. We're smooth as hell. What can we say? Lately, whenever I cook something really good or I do something I didn't know I could do, 
I've just started out loud going, I'm good. I'm good. What can I say? I'm good. <laughs> I <laughs> what don't is know where from? I come. I don't know. I don't know what that's from. I don't know where I picked it up, but I made a really, really good smoothie the other day. And as I was handing it to Jamie, I was like, I'm good. I'm good. What can I say? I'm good. And walked away. I love that energy. <laughs> so if you too want to be good, you can support this podcast <laughs> by joining our Patreon, buying our merch, leaving us a review, or taking your friend's phone and subscribing them to this podcast while they're in the bathroom. But no matter what you do, we're happy you clicked on this episode. Tracy, it's funny that you think people in 2021 ever go anywhere without their phone. Like they would put their phone down and then go into another room. <laughs> I can dream. Right, right. So convince your friend to put their phone down and then know their password and then it's a flawed plan, but we think you can do it. We believe in you. It's a challenge that we're issuing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's been a minute since we've talked at you. Uh, and while we were away, we were working on episodes, mostly so that producer Cat Lola could nap completely unbothered without our presence in her loft. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm concerned that she's not currently napping behind me. She's up to some mischief. She'll appear at the moment that I have finally said a difficult word correctly so that I then have to say it again. <laughs> That is her speciality. <laughs> Excuse me, it's speciality. <laughs> is that even true? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so aside from giving Lola a chance to rest over the last couple weeks, we've also played a lot of D&D with our Greenleaf Geek Dice. And you guys know how much we adore Leah's work. We have said it over and over and over again. But no matter how many times we say it, we will continue to be so grateful to have Greenleaf Geek sponsoring this podcast throughout the entire spring. I saw a Twitter post the other day where she designed custom dice for someone based on their character info. <gasps> I know. Oh, my God. I want that. Oh, my God. I love that. I know. I know. I My problem is I really want the tea time dice. Oh, yes. Yeah, so the tiny little tea set inside of them. Mm-hmm. Mm. So Lee is the coolest. There are tons of curated dice. She will hand make you dice, apparently, with your character sheet. That's amazing. Um, check Greenleaf Geek out at greenleafgeek.com or at greenleafgeek on Instagram and Twitter. When you order, please use our custom coupon code that Leah kindly provided. It's Fable. That's F-A-B-L-E for 10% off your order. Some restrictions apply. And that way, Leah will know that we are cool. <laughs> we will finally have completed our mission in convincing someone that we are cool. So I come bearing fruit, and that fruit is chapter two of The Wizard and the Rogue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Roan and I, just for transparency, because we're going to be real with you guys, we <laughs> threw around <laughs> ideas for this story, very general concepts. I made her answer about 36 questions about Rosalind's backstory for me. Which I used for this chapter, by the way. Oh, I'm so glad. I did it in mine, too. Very helpful to know what kind of uh, weapons Rosalind likes to use. I had to look up Thea's nervous tics. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so with all of that, we came up with kind of general ideas, but then we 
as soon as you start writing, stories take on a life of their own. And so Rowan came up with just a general idea, gave me a hint, and then went off and wrote her chapter. And all I know is that I'm very excited to find out what that sort of general idea turned into. Yeah, I got to sneak out of town for a few days. Um, My quarantine pod and I moved our quarantine into a cabin in the woods. All we did was stay in that one cabin, but being in a different four walls was amazing and getting to look at trees and nature was very revitalizing. And so I worked on this while I was away. Mm. Turns out being able to see long distances really does, in fact, boost your creativity. So I'm very excited. Are you ready? I am so ready. Rosalind was in the habit of advertising. I can break out of nearly any bounds that hold me. She was very careful to add the word nearly, as too cocky a declaration had a habit of encouraging her enemies, and family members, to devise new and interesting ways to lock her up. That word, nearly, was meant to account for all kinds of unique tortures, being chucked, bound, and gagged into a bog swarming with a herd of starving kelpies, for example. When she couldn't sleep, Rosalind liked to imagine the trick she would use to escape just such a fix. By the fourth hour of her internment in the underground cell of the Westfall prison, Rosalind was beginning to worry that she might have to downgrade her bragging to, I can break out of only some of the bounds that hold me. The whole situation was maddening. To begin, she'd failed her assignment, kill Arnold Mueller and return undetected supplying proof of his death. Rosalind had failed so spectacularly that she was now sitting in a jail cell, carved from an actual gods-be-glad cave, locked in with the useless wizard girl who'd thwarted her plans. And there was very little Rosalind could do to retaliate. Also, there was a greasy man snoring on a bench in the corner. The captain of the Guard of Westfall was a smart man. He employed the sort of shackles that boxed in Rosalind's entire hand, preventing her from any acts of magic or dexterous lockpicking. They were heavy, cumbersome, and absolutely ingenious. The fact that the wizard girl wasn't wearing any shackles at all sent Rosalind's blood pressure through the roof. She'd spent the first hour believing that the wizard would, at any moment, perform a spell that would allow their escape. By the second hour, Rosalind thought perhaps that the spell was so complicated that the young girl simply needed quiet to work out her theorems. By the third hour, it was clear that the wizard had no such plan. And so Rosalind began plotting the small woman's death. Thea was constantly drumming on the bench upon which she sat, and this felt not only like a braggadocious way to flaunt her lack of cuffs, but each tap was now serving as a thunderous arrow of sound directed at Rosalind's mounting headache. Four hours and 36 minutes in, the assassin broke. What about that neat fireball trick you pulled before? The dark-haired brunette looked up, dazed. Hmm. Not hot enough to burn through metal. Animate the lock. It's spelled against such things. 
Polymorph into a rat and then perhaps... I don't have the components. Thea huffed. Or the desire to die in the form of vermin when a god inevitably finds me. Acid, then? Hmm. The wizard simply shook her head. Necromancy? The man in the corner is nearly dead. Allow him to complete one last useful act. Thea finally looked up at Rosalind, who was doing her best to loom over the tiny girl. The cave is sealed against magic, and necromancy is illegal. Thea wanted to add, And I never learned the skills I would need to do it anyway. But she knew this wasn't the time for any soul-bearing, no matter how often her beloved romance novels had suggested this was just such a situation. Thea wanted this line of questioning to end, so she stood and started her own. What's your name? Roslyn. All right, Roslyn. I'm Thea. Tell me, wizard, what is the point of you? Why are you here? Me? We wouldn't be in this mess if you hadn't swooped in all... all... waving your knife around and getting us caught. No, no, absolutely not, no. You defended one of the most villainous men in this city and the surrounding cities, for that matter, by tossing a ball of fire at my head. Rosalind lowered her voice and began stalking toward Thea from across the dark cell. She hoped it looked menacing, and it did. You deserve to be here. You are a criminal who defends lesser men, and you haven't even the good sense to get yourself out of a cage meant for animals like Arnold Mueller. If my hands were free, I would strangle you within an inch of your life just for inconveniencing me. Though, you deserve much worse for the crimes you've committed this day. Thea felt her stomach drop, and it took every ounce of her courage to stand her ground. Something about the other girl's words hit the very place she was most vulnerable. So she glared. You can't kill me. Hmm, yet. The tall blonde let out a huff, shaking a tangle of curls from her face. It was not long after their squabble that Thea saw the captain of the guard marching down the hall to their cell. He had two men at his back, which either meant he was afraid for his safety or wanted the women to fear for theirs. Good evening, ladies. In the time it took the men to swagger down the hall, Thea had positioned herself on the far bench as she imagined an afraid noblewoman might. When the captain spoke, she tried to infuse gratitude into her eyes and fear into her form. Sprinkle it all with a dash of bone-tired, and she imagined she looked pretty pathetic. Captain? Her voice sounded so youthful when it came out, Rosalind actually cast a glance back at her from across the room. Call me Alaric. Captain Alaric. Thea had years of experience within high society, enough to know how her simpering would get the man excited. When will I be able to go home? It's cold and I'm very hungry. As soon as you can give me the information I need. He came forward, his face close to the bars. Thea could see from the far end of the cell that his hand was resting on the hilt of his sword. 
It was meant to look casual, but Thea could tell that the man feared the girl assassin who was leaning in the corner only an arm's reach away. Why were you hidden in the back room with Arnold Mueller? Thea could kick herself. She'd had nearly five hours to concoct an explanation, and she only sat around panicking and reciting the ingredients, words, and histories of various spells in her head. Her moment's hesitation dissolved any remaining pretense that she was merely an innocent bystander. I'd hoped an evening in a cold, damp cell would convince you that chatting with me is in your best interest. But that's all right. The captain turned and began striding away, as if he'd just left a breezy afternoon conversation over tea. The hanging will be held at noon. Assassin, you'll be taken to auction in three days' time. Someone will purchase you, either for your services or in the hope you'll be a valuable hostage. Westfall has no interest in any of you, either way. What? Thea rushed to the bar, shouting after him. You're hanging me. I've done nothing wrong. Alaric narrowed his eyes, as only a politically appointed official could. You were found cavorting with the most wanted man in Westfall. We cannot try you for anything as you won't speak. And we cannot auction you for the city's benefit. You have no value as an employee or a hostage. You are a criminal and a commoner whose only value is an afternoon of entertainment. I am not a commoner. The full sentence was, I am not a commoner. But Thea stopped herself at the last moment and said, rather more meekly than she would have liked, I am not talking, no matter how you threaten me. It absolutely did not carry the weight her big character reveal might have, nor did it lessen her chances of death, but it was a choice, and gosh darn it, Thea couldn't start making good choices now. So the captain shrugged and left as easily as he'd walked in. He was a violent, likely corrupt man, and he didn't care about her. Thea just wasn't sure what to do with that. As soon as the echoes of the men's footsteps faded, Thea practically leapt across the cell, reaching for Rosalind's handcuffs. What are you doing? By way of response, Thea popped the lock that held the metal cages of each cuff. She smiled up at the blonde when they clattered to the floor. Please. Tell me, you just performed some magic that due to the position of the moon or the stars you were unable to accomplish until this exact moment. No, I just saw the guard mislatch them earlier when you were kicking at him. I was planning to unlock them for you once we'd struck some sort of bargain that ensured my safety, but... Now, Rosalind's eyes went wide and she screamed as she slammed her body into Thea's, taking them both to the ground. The young wizard was too discombobulated from slamming her head against the stone to even throw up her arms in defense as the wiry assassin threw punch after punch at her already bloodied face. Instead, instead of doing this, Thea sputtered between blows. You could unlock the door and get us out. It's not an either-or situation. Rosalind found the exercise incredibly cathartic and only stood when she realized the other woman was in danger of passing out. 
Then she hopped up and went directly for the comically large padlock at the cell door. I'm not going to kill you. Rosalind's voice was even and her movements methodical. The guards hadn't checked her unruly lengths of hair, and never did, and she pulled two lockpicks from narrow braids hidden in the tangled blonde curls. She rarely had a chance to brag about that particular trick, and she was somewhat dismayed to see that Thea wasn't even looking at her when she materialized tools from her hair. You helped me in a way that has most assuredly saved my life, so I will not take yours. Yet. Then, the lock let out a groan, and the thing was picked. It took about twenty seconds, a slow time for Rosalind on a mechanism that large, but fast, under the circumstances. Rosalind covered the cell in two long strides, and to Thea's shock and horror, ran one finger down the nose of the sleeping man. Rosalind smiled down at him in a way that she hoped would pervade any dream he ever had for the rest of his life. The door is open. Leave now, or stay and be hung tomorrow. Thea didn't see which direction the other girl went when she faded into the shadows of the hall, but by the time she managed to sit up, the assassin was long gone, and the man was poking his scruffy head out of the bars. He cast one look down at her, raised an eyebrow, and slipped out, heading down the hall in the direction the captain had taken not long ago. No, 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 no. Thea Whisper shouted after him and tried to catch the back of his shirt, but she ended up stumbling into the bars and making a loud clatter. She was definitely concussed, and blood kept dripping in her eyes. The wizard knew that the only way she was getting out was if she went in the opposite direction of the man. Something about the fact that he slept through every conversation and squabble in the cell let her know that he wasn't particularly aware of noise and would therefore make a large amount of it. Her suspicions were confirmed when the guards began shouting and she heard footsteps thundering towards her down the hall. Fia had wandered for about 15 minutes and not caught any evidence of the shadowy assassin. This was unsurprising. She'd also tested her casting ability every time she rounded a bend. She created not one single spark of magic. Also unsurprising. What was incredibly surprising was the crossbow bolt that burst forth from her middle. Until that moment, Thea was under the false impression that she was hiding very skillfully in a shadow between the flickering torches of the prison hall. When a young, excited guard turned the corner to find her crouching against the wall, he'd already released the bolt before Thea had noticed him behind her. The force of it knocked the wizard to her knees, and her blood began wetting her shirt in a hot stain almost immediately. The number of injuries she had sustained today was beginning to get ridiculous. Rosalind, properly hidden in her own shadow many hallways away, knew the wizard was caught when a new round of shouting began. The assassin hadn't any trouble navigating the prison. Such buildings were usually laid out in similar fashions. This one seemed to partially fit under the rocky part of a hill, a very clever choice for keeping prisoners in and free criminals out. Rosalind currently viewed herself as a free criminal, and there was now only one very large, very thick, 
oak door, keeping her from escape. The blasted thing didn't even have a handle or a lock. This meant it only opened from the outside, so there was nothing to pick. She'd hunted down every other hallway she could access, and short of storming up the stairs into God's know-what-all, this was the only way out. The assassin growled to herself and pulled out the only weapons the guards hadn't pilfered. A pair of impossibly small, needle-like knives hidden in the soles of her shoes. She lovingly called them the last resorts. As she made her way back, Rosalind racked her brain for something pithy she might say to the wizard after saving her life yet again. When she came upon Thea, she gave up her hopes of snide remarks. A guard was standing over the wizard who was slumped in a growing puddle of her own blood, (laughs) wearing a crossbow bolt like a chicken on rotisserie. The last resorts were too small to throw and be of any use, so Rosalind approached as quietly as she could for as long as she could before running at the young man. When he finally saw her, the guard stood, crossbow ready, as Rosalind ducked and used Thea's pooling blood to slide the rest of the way to the man's waiting ankles. The knives were narrow, so she only managed to slice his left Achilles tendon halfway through. Mm, But it gave a satisfying pop, and he toppled over her back, screaming when she stood up between his legs. There was something pretty poetic about killing the man while he scrambled around in the blood of the woman he'd only just mortally wounded. Rosalind made his death brief, out of necessity. Opposite her entrance into the hall, she heard the running and shouting of a number of men. Likely there was only a minute, maybe two, before they arrived with a small army's worth of crossbows to fire at the two women. Rosalind crouched and slapped Thea across the face by way of greeting. Stop, I'm dying. You are. What, say, you come down the hall with me and magically open a door before you shuffle off this mortal coil? Rosalind moved Thea so that she could support the other woman with her shoulder and tried to start walking. To this painful movement, Thea said, I'm dying! As a child might say, stop that, and smack a sibling's hand away. And the men were getting nearer. Rosalind desperately tried to play out all the scenarios that lay before her. She could leave the wizard, take the dead guard's crossbow, run for the exit, then... Die, surrounded by guards, with her back to the gods-be-damned door. Uh, She could bring the wizard and try the same tactic, only the girl would be unconscious or dead by the time they arrived at the locked exit. There would be no magic from Thea in that case. She could make a stand here and add her own blood to the ever-increasing swamp of carmine stickiness pooling at her feet. The blood. Oh, gods damn it all! Rosalind had no other solutions, but one she very much hated to employ. Thea? Rosalind pulled the near-dead wizard's face around from where it lolled. Do you want to live? Yes. Good. We're going to swear a blood oath. What? Thea's thoughts were thick and slow, but the words blood oath sent a cold shiver down her spine. Blood magic was not to be fucked with. I'm going to save your life today, and in exchange, you will owe me a life debt. Understand? 
Rosalind could feel the men's footsteps rumble through the stone floor. Their time was limited, and the wizard's eyes were falling shut again. Thea! Limply, Thea gestured to the slick floor. Here, there's plenty of blood, and soon to be no life. There was no time for this. Rosalind threw back her head and groaned in frustration. With hands that shook more than she would ever admit, the assassin rolled up her sleeves and cut a long, superficial gash across the top of her forearm. I swear by the saints of the several gods of the immortal realms and those beings named and unnamed that I will save your life, and in exchange you will owe me a favor of my choice to be collected at my leisure in any way I see fit, so long as I ask it of you before the sun sets on this day exactly one decade hence, should either of us failed to fulfill our bargain. May the blood of the betrayed poison us where we stand, satisfying this deal with the surrender of our very lives. Thea watched Rosalind carefully as the girl spoke. Her own vision was darkening at the edges, and she could see a desperation in the other girl's eyes that she knew should be cause for concern. But Thea also knew she'd heard at least one phrase correctly. I will save your life. I so swear. Rosalind wasted no time. She ripped the bolt from Thea's abdomen, producing a loud squelch and an agonized scream. Thea's injury was now bleeding like champagne escaping an uncorked bottle, and Rosalind applied a substantial amount of pressure when she pushed the gash in her forearm to meet Thea's mortal wound. If Rosalind had less experience with blood oaths, the feeling would have taken her by surprise. But she knew this dark magic well— To heal Thea enough to run for the door, she had to give the girl some of her own vitality. Such a gift felt very much like falling from a great height. Rosalind also knew the wizard was experiencing this like a cool drink of water on a hot summer day. Still, it was never pleasant to have someone's blood creep within you, spun with so powerful an oath. At the end of the ritual, Rosalind had to shout, at Thea to get her up and running. The wizard was completely distracted by the reality that both of their wounds were now partially healed with a layer of new, swollen skin. You have to do exactly what I tell you, do you understand? Rosalind pushed Thea's head down as the prison guards rounded the corner, firing half a dozen bolts at the pair. Ah, yes, stop yanking me. No, I'm saving your life, remember? Rosalind yanked the wizard harder, more out of fear than to emphasize her point. When we round the next corner, you'll see a very large door at the end of the hall. Every time Rosalind glanced back, the number of guards seemed to have doubled. Of course, she realized, every hall in this labyrinthine prison fed to this one barred exit. Uh, yep. Uh, Okay. I need you to smash it open. Thea stumbled when they turned around the corner, and she saw exactly what Rosalind meant. The prison is warded against magic. Figure it out! I know you don't have any experience with- Rosalind interrupted, panting as they ran. The prison is only warded on the inside. One face of the door exists on the outside, which is where we're trying to be. So cast your magic on the outside of the door so we can get there. Thea actually gave a long moment of thought. She was intrigued. That is a very poor misunderstanding of magical theory. Maybe you're just a very poor magician. Rosalind was clever. 
a challenge was exactly the way to get Thea to do anything, especially when that thing was ill-advised. They were running at the taller girl's full speed, which meant Thea was being dragged by her arm at a pace that neither allowed her any time to calculate nor get her feet underneath her. Slow down. No, think quickly. If she didn't figure something out, Thea had no doubt that Rosalind was going to run them full speed into a solid oak door that could stop a small army without so much as a rattle of its hinges. When I said think faster, I actually- I know what you meant, you murderous imbecile. By now, they'd done more running than Thea ever had in her entire life, and she was struggling to get any air into her lungs. Air. I need air. I'm not stopping. No, no, go faster. If either of the pair were civil long enough to communicate their ways of thinking, this day and this escape would reveal a similarity that might allow them to get along. The chances of that happening, however, were unlikely at best. Oh, gods, please let her plan be good. Rosalind was already having an incredibly hard time keeping them moving with Thea's stumbling, but she very much wanted to live. So, somehow, the assassin managed to run faster. Thea had no way of knowing what speed they were going, which made the theorem very hard to calculate. She was thinking so hard, in fact, that she'd almost completely closed her eyes in an effort to get a sense of herself in space. Wizard? Yes? Wizard! Thea's eyes popped open just as they were about to slam a full body into the door. She reflexively threw up her arm to block her face just as the oak monstrosity was sucked off its hinges by a sudden gale-force wind. Thank the saints of the several, the wind plucked up the pair of women as well, spitting them from its airy grasp somewhat further from the now open prison than a crossbow's range could reach. The landing hurt. Even Rosalind, accustomed to falling gracefully, had to admit she would ache for at least a fortnight. Thea was concussed for the second time on that never-ending day. While she was busy passing out, Rosalind somehow secreted them into a dark and quiet alley. Thea had absolutely no recollection of how they got there, but when she came to, she was grateful to see the open night sky above them. Thea's gratefulness was somewhat dampened by the fact that she'd been slapped awake. She was going to have to address the constant head trauma with Rosalind. The blonde woman crouched next to her, and Thea saw her eyes blazing murderously. There was so much blood on Rosalind, and the night was so dark that the effect was truly menacing. The assassin was bearing her arm, and Thea saw that it was still unblemished. What have you done? Thea sat up, her mind racing to understand what she was seeing. The wound should be open. Your blood should be seeping out of me. It should rain it without a speck of your poisonous life force left. The blood oath. Thea had never seen one before. When my end of the bargain is fulfilled, the blood is released from me because I no longer owe you a life debt. The realization hit Rosalind, not unlike that violent gust of magical wind. Her words rang in her mind like an ominous echo. She'd said, 
I'm going to save your life today, and in exchange you will owe me a life debt, all right? But when it came down to the actual oath, her words were, I will save your life. Full stop. She hadn't specified the time limit. She hadn't specified the fucking time limit on the fucking oath. Rosalind threw back her head and laughed. It was a hard and desperate sound that spread through her whole body and burst forth like a howl. This display of mania did not provide Thea with any ease. In fact, she began inching away. Thea, Rosalind said the wizard's name, leveling her gaze that was suddenly unnaturally calm. Who wants you dead? Oh, that was so good. (laughs) That was so good. I need you guys all to know that at one point, Rowan on a phone call with me said, are you okay if I hurt Thea a little? And I said, hell yeah, beat her up. I did not know (laughs) you were going to literally beat her up multiple times. Put her in mortal danger. (laughs) So Thea's injury trajectory through this chapter originally started out with her just getting shot actually with an arrow in the leg. And um, and then I wanted to know if I could sort of mortally wound her. Uh, yeah. And I assured Tracy that, you know, she would survive. But then as I wrote the chapter, I realized she did also need two concussions and a nearly broken nose. <laughs> and <laughs> She had a bad go of it, this one. She did. But I, I love that because I love that. I don't know. It shows her tenacity, but also, what a little bitch knew that knew that she could unlock Rosalind at any moment, and chose not to. Oh, I know. I did not have that planned. Actually, um, Thea came up with that one all on her own. I like to say, I yes, wrote- I so understand that feeling. Sometimes I swear <laughs> to God, these characters decide what they're doing before I know. So I wrote until the moment when the captain left, and I just thought, oh God. The only person who can get them out of the cell has these handcuffs that I've created. How is she going to get out? No one can do any magic in here. And then I was like, oh, Thea's just going to open them. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the the scruffy little man who ran away. I think he's very fun. And I hope we see him again. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. He's sticky for sure. He's so sticky. Why is he so sticky? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. That was so good, Rowan. That was so good. I know most of our listeners probably haven't read or listened to Gideon or Harrow the Ninth, but it had such Gideon and Harrow the Ninth bickering energy. And the humor and the wit is like, chef's kiss. We love a bicker. The other phone call that happened in writing this chapter, because Tracy and I uh, have established some of the rules of the world, but, you know, there are rules left to be found. <laughs> I just called her and I think I started the call. How do you feel about blood oaths? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I didn't want to spoil it when I was saying that I only knew a very little bit about this chapter, but all I knew about this chapter were the words blood oath, and that I gave you permission to beat my sweet baby up. 
Right. So you knew it was going to be <laughs> sticky for you. Um, actually, I was telling a story while I was up at this cabin to my friends about how like my childhood was just me in the woods constantly like <laughs> talking summoning ghosts and like doing all sorts of exciting things. Did we ever do a proper blood oath? Because I know that we I would did have a advocated fake for one. It. We did it with like um like markers and food coloring. And we food did coloring. It with food coloring. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd know. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Wow, that that is 100%. I need everyone to know that is 100% because even young Tracy was sensible. I know that I did not concoct that plan uh, yeah. on my own. <laughs> I wasn't sensible enough to realize that food coloring wouldn't come off my arm, though. Oh, it was there forever. Yeah. I, oh, my gosh. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> we were cool kids. Yeah, I I only realized when everyone was exchanging stories about their childhood that not everyone was a spooky kid because we were spooky that's really sad for them because it was awesome being a spooky kid who spent literally all day in the woods mm-hmm. yeah so, hence blood oaths in our fiction i don't know <laughs> i loved this story this was a gift and since you gave me a gift this week i have a little something for you <laughs> okay <laughs> Okay, so one of our listeners wrote in a message on Instagram, and I found it before you did, so I was able to read it and respond, but it was specifically talking about you. No, no. No, it's good. It's good. Okay. (laughs) So this is from a listener named Amy B. And she said, hello from Scotland, except with the Scottish accent. Okay. Hello from Scotland. Just listened to episode four, and I wanted to let Rowan know that she did a fantastic job of the Robert Chambers poem. It's not phonetically, though it's the Scots language, but absolutely spot on. I realize that I'm miles behind and a new fan, but I just wanted to say it's awesome. Oh, no. Oh, no. Thank you so much. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) I told her you were going to flip out. When I uh, shared it, I asked her if I could share it on the podcast, and she said yes. She said, I figured Rowan was worried about it because it is difficult, and I got from episode three that she's really worried about getting stuff right, but it really goes to show just how passionate you both are that you care that much. Oh, no, don't perceive me, but thank you so much for perceiving me (laughs) and writing in. That was so – oh, my gosh, that's so kind. Thank you, Amy B. You made my day for sharing that. You made my day for getting to share with Rowan, and I'm pretty sure by the grin still on Rowan's face that you made her day <laughs> by telling her that. That was really nice. I feel like so much of this podcast is just me struggling with speech in general. Uh, <laughs> that was very, very kind. Uh, yeah, that was nice. <laughs> yeah. I was so happy. I love your Scottish accent. You did it for the d d character in the campaign we recently finished. I took I up the mantle. It is now the accent for my half orc paladin. And um, your half orc paladin? That's 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 based French. On... I know. I can't do a French. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do a French accent. I tried so hard for the first session. One of the other characters in the campaign has a French accent. I had something I could listen to and still mimic. And I panicked every time. And so the next session, I came back and I said, "It's going to be Scottish." But it was so good. 
or at least good enough, that everyone said it reminded them of your character, who was Scottish, Aww. which meant it was recognizably Scottish. That's all I cared about. That's very nice. Tell everyone the name of that now Scottish character, please. Right, the name only works because it's a French pun. So in French, <laughs> Joan of Arc is Jean d'Arc. Say it with a French accent, please. I don't I don't know how it's written. Jean d'Arc? Yeah. So Jean d'Arc became John, J-A-W-N, which is a Philly region thing. You say it like that, yeah, John over John. there. John de Orc, D apostrophe O R C. So you could give your paladin a Philly accent. Oh, that would have <laughs> been so good. A South Philly accent. Oh, that would have been good. That would have been good. You That's can good. still do what it if I you want That's to. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't do a South Philly accent. I don't know why. I don't know if specifically I can do South Philly, but I can do kind of like. Guido, New Jersey, because that's what that's you know, You're in my blood. <laughs> what can I say? It's good. It's good. What can I say? So, can you give us a hint? I'm gonna put you on the spot. I'm doing it. Can mm-hmm. you give us a hint of what's gonna happen in the next chapter? Now that you just heard this chapter for the first time, and you have to make a plan that I will know. be cohesive. Tell us exactly what's gonna happen, <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> I'm not holding myself to anything I say right now uh, because I'll lay awake at night and think about this but i want to heal uh i want to heal thea's concussions uh i think that's dangerous for her to be walking around with so uh i want to listen i'm worried about my sweet baby i actually imagine that thea's first concussion is canonically healed oh yes it would be so she was concussed twice, but only experiences the symptoms of one concussion's worth. One lucky lady. <laughs> <laughs> and technically, the second concussion was her fault. Well, is it her fault if she got it because <laughs> Rosalind forced her to get them out of the prison that, honestly, Rosalind got them into? No, no, no. Oh, no. Oh, God. Okay, we have to bicker in favor of our characters. There's no way. No, because Rosalind would have just slipped in, done a little stabby-stabby and slipped out. There would have been no prison. Thea is just a, like, can't hide for shit. She's basically the equivalent of, like, tinsel to a crow. And if if Thea had unlocked their handcuffs sooner, Rosalind could have been roguier faster. Rosalind would have left her for dead in a heartbeat. There's no way Thea could have unlocked those cuffs without having a plan in place. Okay, so Thea would have been stuck, but Rosalind would have gotten out fine. <laughs> We're going to have some fun adventures coming up with them. <laughs> These are my favorite episodes. It was, I love these. It's there. I mean, Rosalind's definitely going to want to prioritize finding out who wants to kill Thea and getting them out of the picture so she can move on. But whether or not that's easily done, that's a big question mark. That's true. I haven't. See, I'm I'm a little mad at myself. I I came in on chapter two, with Rosalind being the least established of the pair. And I really had an opportunity to give her conflict resolution skills of any kind. And I did not do that. <laughs> I I think she she uses violence in yeah. every single conflict. And the only time she doesn't is stroking 
the nose of a greasy man. Like, that's it. Oh, and she wasn't, she did not speak to the captain. So that, that. Her version of conflict resolution is either silence or violence. (gasps) Silence (gasps) or violence. (laughs) (laughs) I love that for her. Uh, Yeah, I, okay. My favorite thing about the pair that, again, I only got to think about because I was staring out at nature is that Rosalind definitely thinks more quickly. Mm Mm-hmm. And Thea cannot defend herself while she's thinking too hard. (laughs) God, relatable. But Rosalind has no interest in longer trains of thought. (laughs) Yet monologues, which I love. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Monologuing. We love a monologue. I love a a villainous monologue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We need a... We need a villain to monologue properly. Mm, maybe that's something I could introduce in chapter three. Yeah, I mean, Alaric was just a hand puppet. He didn't. Oh, he was a mook. What's a mook? Like a dumb henchman you kill. Oh. Like a pointless, okay. a pointless enemy. Just a... Oh. Yeah. I, I did not know. I love that. What is the definition of mook? We're going to look it up. Honestly, it sounds like a Jersey phrase. A stupider, incompetent person. A mook. Where, what's the origin? I need to know. Informal U.S. What else you got, Oxford Languages? Come on. Oxford Languages is my favorite source because then no one who's British can ever get mad at us. That's a lie, but, you know, it, it is, is Oxford. It was first used in 1930. It has, it's had the same meaning ever since. Okay, so say that again in transatlantic like a newspaper man (laughs) (laughs) let me find a sentence if you don't want to look like an everyday other mook see you need a satirical (laughs) what is that sentence sartorial trademark is at the end of a definition for the word mook i'm not that smart buddy i don't know what that means it's it's a satirical sentence it's like a A sartorial trademark it doesn't mean anything properly, you know? It's it's just for degradation purposes and humor. <laughs> I hate I hate that Oxford languages has made me feel dumb. Rowan, <laughs> tell me something good. Okay. Well, see, I already sort of outed the good thing that I've been doing. My something good is that I got to go away. And again, um we stayed in a cabin that had a big porch on two different levels so we just stayed within the cabin and brought up a bunch of groceries and just like looked out at nature and sat in the hot tub and just moved from surface to surface Mm -hmm. doing different things like reading or hot tubbing or actually communicating um but one of my favorite things that we did was having a big fire a proper fire in the fireplace and then one night we all just stayed up until 4 a.m. playing board games. So we played Betrayal of the House on the Hill. Mm -hmm. We played Perudu. Just all these games. We ended up finishing the night off with Uno. Because there were Uno cards at the cabin. (laughs) It was, and we played Clank. It was just a really fun time because, you know, board games late at night, you just get to be as silly as you possibly can. There's no stakes. Mm -hmm. There's. There's only giggling and snacks. Yeah, it's just for the love of the game. 
And that was just really, really refreshing. I love a board game. Good. It was nice to be in the same room as humans. And <gasps> yes. we're all a pod, and now we are all either fully or half vaccinated. So it's just very relieving. Mm-hmm. Tracy, tell me something good. All right. My something good is that this past weekend, me, Jamie, Tim, and my mom got together, and we did this mystery puzzle box that Jamie got. It's from the Deadbolt Mystery Society. The specific box we did is called The Watcher. This box gives you a crime case or a mystery to solve. Oh, no. Yes. It was so good. Ours was about a stalker stalking this woman. And you need to decode all the puzzles and clues that he left and figure out who the suspect is. And there's different phases. And what's so cool is that it utilizes the internet. So one of the suspects had a website, and on that website, there was a hint in it for the clue. You had to scan QR codes to get to password-encrypted documents that you had to put the right password into to unlock other clues. It was so good. It was genuinely challenging, where some of those boxes I've heard can be Mm -hmm. like annoyingly obvious or for people who aren't super into puzzles. This was hard. A lot of ciphers and out-of-the-box thinking. It had an escape room feel in terms of how cryptic the puzzles were. It took the four of us like two and a half hours, but it was so fun. Some of our listeners might not know how much you guys, and actually me and my friends, all love escape rooms. All of us. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like a quarantine edition escape room. Like you got to do it at home. Yes, absolutely. It was so fun. And my mom is so good at, at at puzzles. Yes! What the heck? I know. I know. So she brute forced her way through the first, this one <laughs> puzzle that we needed to do, where later on we found a little paper with the cipher to use for that first puzzle that she just <gasps> was like, well, I just, you know, this had this symbol and this had this symbol. So I started here and then I went to here and then I just did it all the way through. And we were like, what? What? Brute force through a cipher makes me think she's like a brain barbarian. She is. She's she's so she's going to be incredibly smart, but she's going to do it by force. Yes. <laughs> she was so good. It was so fun. So that's the Deadbolt Mystery Society. We will definitely be trying it again. What you're telling me, based on the website element, is that you are officially canonically a hacker. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I am now this legally cannot be a hacker. Refuted. <laughs> So you know how white hat hackers hack Mm -hmm. for good? Mm -hmm. Is a black hat hacker a hacker who hacks for bad? Yes. And then there's red hat or red teams, which are teams within organizations that pretend to be black hat and then find the organization's flaws. Yeah. I became familiar with red team because of the Aaron Sorkin Show newsroom. But I reference red team a lot in information. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so yes, the answer is yes, there's white hat, black hat, red hat, hackers, hackers. And Tracy is a rainbow hat hacker. Thank you for coming to the Willing and Fable podcast. We're very glad to have you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. And remember, stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon, okay?
Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of ancient myths, local legends, and stories with staying power.